This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 64. Today is Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. I'm going to skip past all the typical episode code opening stuff I do. No bells and whistles today. No fuck music in the background today. No special guest to hype up this episode. Didn't want one today. That's because there's more than enough Buffalo sports talk to go around this weekend. Not to mention the World Series coming. I will have Heather Prusak from WGRZ Channel 2 in Buffalo on Friday's show. That'll be a fun sports media interview. I'll be looking forward to talking to her. For today, I'm going to jump right into the recurring and critically acclaimed, <laughs> hugely popular Pat with Puck segment with my sometimes once in a while motivated sidekick, Tone Pucks. Tone Pucks in the house. What's going on, dude? What's up, man? I, I sensed a little bit of sarcasm in the, in the hugely bit. popular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we used to. I mean, you we kinda... used to get a lot more. We used to get a lot more uh, Twitter likes than we get lately, man. I'd be checking that shit like, God damn, it's just fucking. Well, well nobody like our segment no more. You pretty much admitting that you don't even listen to your own segments doesn't help matters. <laughs> it's, it's, that's an excellent. That's an excellent point. Damn, that reminds me that. Uh, why, why don't you just tell me at some point what. Uh, uh, what uh, the run-in with Joe popped off uh, about on me? So I, because I, I didn't listen. He, he told me that he said something about me, but I, I forgot. Well, you had a what take say? last week. You had a take, which I completely agree with. And we, we discussed it further on the running with Joe segment on Friday's show about you not being happy that Bills fans were content to be what was it, two and three after the Houston game, or two and four after the Houston game that they didn't win that game, that they didn't go to three and three. And that Monday morning, you know, everyone woke up and they're bitching about Nate Peterman or they're bitching about Josh Allen getting hurt or how we played before that. But nobody was really bitching about the fact that the game was there for the taking and the Bills, you know, by all rights should have been three and three with what we thought anyway would be a winnable game coming up at Indianapolis. An opportunity to go to four and three because you said that everyone has become so conditioned to think about the future when it comes to the Bills, and especially the Sabres as well, that nobody even really gave a shit about the Bills being, you know, not being 3-3. Three and three. I agreed with your take. He didn't. He said it is about the future and that he really didn't give a shit that the Bills lost the Houston game. That's what that was mainly about. All right. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you saving me the time there. You know how busy I am, dude. I got... 
you know, football's ending here. I got basketball meetings starting now. You know, it's my busy season. Yeah. You're too busy to spend 45 <laughs> minutes listening to a podcast segment while you're in your car or anything like that. Yeah, I totally get it. By the way, you had an awful Buffalo Sabres tweet from last week, and I'm not going to let that shit slide. Thank we're, you. We're going to get yeah. to that shortly. All right, but good. Before we can that, talk about that the whole time. I, I mean, seriously, I, you know, my normal routine of not listening to, you know, this or any other podcast, notwithstanding, who the fuck wants to listen to people talk about the Buffalo Bills today, <laughs> tomorrow, the rest of the year, until, you know, until they start doing something meaningful with that offense. I, I mean, who's going to come up with something? I mean, you know, this is a great promotional uh, job here that I'm doing, but who is going to come up with something unique to talk about over the next nine weeks of, uh, of, of of football, I mean, I hope just I hope hopefully Bean swings something, or, or you know, or Allen comes back because this is just, you know, it ended for me. The the, the whole idea of, uh, you know, what I said last week, you know, we're not looking at the at the current, uh, you know, Buffalo Bills season, and we could have gone to three and three. Um, you know, I carried that into this week thinking. Maybe a, a competent veteran quarterback, um, you know, could could breed some life into this season with the way that the defense plays. It ended for me uh, on Sunday. Um, you know, it's it's no longer about uh, the 2018 Buffalo Bills. This this story is only going to get worse. Yeah, man. You know, it is going to be arduous finding interesting things to talk about when it comes to the Buffalo Bills for the rest of the season. And you know what, Tone? I probably shouldn't admit this. I mean, we do a podcast every Tuesday that basically recaps the Buffalo Bills game, and then we throw some other stuff in. So I probably shouldn't admit this, but you know what? I don't care at this point. I didn't even watch the fucking second half of the game. I barely watched any of the second half, I should say. I got the Sunday ticket, man. I live in Florida. I need to have the ticket. That's the only way I'm going to be able to watch every game. So I spend good money on the NFL. And I was so appalled by what I saw by Buffalo in that first half. I said, you know what, man? I'm not ruining another good Sunday. I'm just not going to do it. So I started watching Red Zone for the second half, watching a bunch of other games. And I would flip onto a game individually when it got interesting, like that Chicago game against New England. That was a fun game. Tampa Bay and Cleveland. That was a fun game. I said, I'm not going to waste another entire afternoon of my life watching the Bills when they want to play like this. They quit. They quit on the, they quit during that game. I don't care what anyone says. So I quit on them on Sunday. So you tell me, man, <laughs> that second half, did I miss anything? What did I miss? I ain't got shit to tell you, dude. I littlest pucks. Uh, it was his. We celebrated his birthday. He had some pizza and, and Annie pasta, and uh, then he had a hockey game at four o'clock. I caught about ten plays. I got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? I, they're fucking terrible, man. Expert Buffalo Bills commentary like, here today. <laughs> I saw like one play where I I was like, wow, man, that guy's you know really beating his man on the punt, and and uh, you know. You know, I, I don't want to uh, ruin the surprise later with who that guy was because you know he's going to get my MVP. But that was yeah, that's that's all I that's all I really got. I thought I, some good punt coverage led to a, a Indianapolis uh, a fair catch. We could talk about that if you want. You've got to be kidding me, man! 
a guy hustling to cover a punt return is a bright spot worth talking about on the Moranalytics podcast, Pat with Puck segment, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. Is that what you're telling me? Sure, sure. You know what, man? I don't want people to have to. People are probably just chomping at the bit to get to get to this sort of uh, insight. It was Lafayette Pitts. Lafayette Pitts just smoked his man down the sideline and forced a fair catch uh, on a punt, and and uh, and that's about all I've got for the positives. Yeah. No, I mean seriously, I do remember that play though. I do remember thinking to myself, "Who the fuck is that on the outside? He's flying." Um, but I'm not being facetious about how little of the game I caught. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in this spot before with little, you know, family get-togethers, and I make, you know, an excuse every so often if if we happen to not be in sight of the television. And, and I'm always walking in and catching, the, you know, what's what's important and what's going on. There was just nothing really to, uh, you know, to, to sit down and – uh, and really dive into in this game. So at at, at some point, you know, at, at one point, I, I think once it got to fourteen nothing after the clay fumble and the ensuing Indianapolis drive, um, you know, I checked out, and I think uh, I, I think the defense did as well. I I, I think that that clay fumble, um, yeah, was a huge play uh, in the game. I I also tend to think that if that would have been ruled incomplete on the field that there was not enough to overturn it either way. I think that's one of those sort of plays. But, you know, uh, that just that seemed like the point where the defense just said, you know, here we go again. Or maybe they were just shell-shocked. Or maybe they just weren't ready to go back out on the field. But they got chewed up. It got to 14 nothing, And uh, it never, never even gave a whiff of being a competitive football game from that point on. I'm glad you brought up Charles Clay. I'll tell you, I didn't take a lot of notes. I mean, for Christ's sake, I just admitted to you on air here that I didn't even watch the second half of the game minus a couple of plays. But I did write a couple of things down early. And I remember as soon as that fumble happened, I wrote this down. I said, this is going to be the play of the game. Because I feel like at that point, the defense, and you know, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but they looked at each other and probably said, here we fucking go again. Yet again, the offense is killing us. It just has to be demoralizing. I mean, the defense has a bad drive. They get scored on. The Bills get the ball. They're driving. Looks like maybe they'll do something. Maybe today's the day where that maybe the offense actually picks up the defense a little bit. But no, Clay fumbles. He loses the ball. And at that point, it felt to me like the defense said, you know what, man? If the offense is going to shit the bed today, then so are we. You know what I'm saying? So do you agree with me when I say that I think that clay fumble was the play of the game. Yeah, and you know what's what I give the Colts and and Frank Reich a lot of credit for. Reich, a guy that I still think is very much up in the air in terms of um, you know what his head coaching career is going to look like. You know, he's like Housley in a lot of ways for me, man. I mean, here's a guy with an extremely extremely popular. Uh, career you know the backup quarterback who led the, the you know the greatest comeback ever I mean this was a guy who had the resume to fast track to to becoming a head coach and he did not take a fast track at all and I I, I see a lot of similarities between Reich and Housley like that but the the point being I I believe that sensing the potential 
for discouragement uh, in the Bills and their defense after that fumble and certainly for the rest of the game. The best way to take advantage of that is not through the air, but on the ground. All right. You know, it's like through the air, man, you know, you still have athletes out there, you know, that, that can, that can cover their guy. There's, there's a lot that can go wrong, you know, on deflected balls and stuff like that. But if you feel as though you've got a a defense, uh, you know, kind of doubting how their performance is ultimately going to be complemented by their offense, you run the ball at them, you know, you take their hearts that, that way. And I don't always believe in that whole, you know, take their heart, all, all, all those cliches and shit like that. But Indy worked it to perfection yesterday, you know, and, and if you want to take advantage of, of a team that's, uh, that's discouraged or, or whatever words you want to use to describe their de- the defense yesterday run the football and you'll, you know, that's, that, that's your best path to it. And Wright seized on that beautifully yesterday. I, I give Indy a ton of credit for how they approached, you know, that the game as it, as it wore on. I want to circle back to the defense in a minute here, as well as Sean McDermott, because we're definitely going to talk about him, but you know, tone to it. I'm not one to pat myself on the back often, but <laughs> I did have a tweet last week that aged absolutely to perfection I said, and this is a direct quote here by myself, the Bills are one shady injury away from having the lamest offense in NFL history because Derek Anderson handing off to Chris Ivory and throwing the ball to Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, and Andre Holmes is the wackest sounding shit I've ever heard in my life. Well, two Bills offensive plays into the game. They lose LaShawn McCoy for the afternoon, and that offense was fucking whack. Was I wrong? Is that not, I mean, maybe if you sat there and looked up on the computer and researched other Bills teams or NFL teams, maybe you could find an offense that sounds worse. But is that off the top of your head, not one of the worst sounding Bills offenses that you've ever heard in your life? Well, I mean, it's it's no Joe Dufect to Perry Tuttle, but uh, <laughs> right, you remember those names? I do. That was Come the strike on, era. Remember. Wasn't that the was strike? Yeah, but wasn't that the strike? Or no, no, that wasn't no. The, that that's, wasn't the stamp. That's the, that's the two and 14 teams. That's Eight, the... Uh, 84, 85. The, yeah, yeah. That's the post-Fergie, post, post uh, you know, in between in between uh, Fergie and Kelly there. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you uh, you pointed out that, uh, that an injury to their only offensive weapon would result in an even more putrid looking offense. And, uh, that injury happened and, uh, seems like you want to, uh, you know, you want to be proud of that. So dude, I was pissed off at halftime. I I turned it off. I'm pissed off. You know, this is a game and you know, I want to keep my composure. I don't want to get too fired up and too angry. We're taping this on Monday. The next day, the game's over and done with neither of us expected the bills to be good this year. No one really did. But still, you know, I was offended that the that the Bills were an underdog by seven points against Indy. I mean, Buffalo comes into this game, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and the, the Colts are one in five, and they're favored by a full touchdown at home? Was this not the worst Buffalo Bills game you've seen all year? Was this their worst game? Yeah, because, you know, they were terrible on both sides of the ball, and, and this is, well... I don't know. Let's take that back. That uh, 
that Baltimore game was was pretty ugly as well. But you know, Baltimore They're a good team. Turned, yeah, yeah, they're a pretty good they're a pretty good team. Colts are fucking um, one in five. I mean, maybe they're yeah. better than one in five. Maybe they're better than their record showed. But whatever. They're one in five. They played yeah, that was, was that Peyton Manning out there? Edward James, fucking Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison? No. Marlon Mack is looking like Todd Gurley against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Yeah, man, it's it's as discouraging as as it could possibly be on a Monday right now. This is just it feels like the season's over, and um, you know, it's thank God for uh, for the hockey team uh, a few hours later. I mean, seriously, yeah, it's, it's, I agree. It's really I bad. It. I watched the whole Sabers game. We're going to talk about them shortly. I don't usually do that. I don't watch a full entire Sabres game, especially if, when they play on a Sunday night. Anyway, I'm usually I know, right. Yeah, I'm sports like out by then, in. but I was desperate for something good, and we ended up getting that. We're going to talk about that, dude. This Bills offense has 81 points through seven games. It's the second fewest that they've had through seven games since the merger in 1970. Or yeah, since the merger, 1977 was the lowest. They had 75. Joe from Buffalo Wins put that stat out there for me. I, man, I, 81 points through seven games. It feels like the Chiefs or the Patriots can score that in a good afternoon. Yeah, I, I'm not as into the grotesque stats as everybody seems to be, you know, now that we've had our ugliest performance um, of the season, possibly. Hey, look, man, when you're as bad as this offense is, when you're as bad as this football team has been, when you've lost games, you know, 48 to three or whatever, and 37 to five, there are going to be all kinds of comparative stats out there that you will find to be eye-opening uh, and want to share with with people, and there might be an element of humor to them and wittiness. And some people are digging deep to come up with these comparisons and stats of the modern era. Look, man, they're just fucking awful, and nobody should need the you know the crutch of any sort of stats to compare it to, or previous horrible teams and offenses to compare it to to drive the point home. All you got to do is watch, you know, I, I, I'm i just not as, uh, as as taken aback by, you know, these stats that people are coming up with. And I'm not just talking about yours or what, what Joe put out there or anything like that. Everybody's doing it um, like, oh, check this one out. Oh, check this one out. It, it hasn't been this bad since this. And look, none of that shit is coming as any sort of surprise. They are positively horrible one of the worst offenses in the modern era that and i don't need stats to tell me that we know it well let me ask you this when does it end man where where's the silver lining there's nothing about this offense nothing that suggests that they're going to turn anything around anytime soon this offense i mean it is as bad as i have ever seen in buffalo we've been through the Duran era We're going all the way back to the mid-80s. I think personally that this is the worst Buffalo Bills offense that I've ever seen. And and it's tough to see it ending um, at any point this year. I think, you know, even though I wasn't that thrilled with what I saw, and and I feel like we're, I guess I'm afraid that we're going to get much of the same. 
Um, the only thing to hang your hat on right now from a entertainment, um, a hopeful entertainment perspective is, is when Allen gets healthy. And then when that happens, it becomes a matter of, you know, what did they do to, uh, to try to move Josh Allen forward? Do they continue to play, you know, the, the conservative, you know, uh, one read check down, uh, you know, sort of thing, like like they want to have a season or they want to win games 13 to 12 over Tennessee and stuff like that? Or, or do they do what they did in his very first uh, action as a Buffalo Bill in the preseason against Carolina and just let him go out there and wing it? Because that, to me, was the the most fun with, with the exception of a little, you know, uh, some nice plays and mostly running the football uh, against Minnesota. The most fun watching Josh Allen uh, has been this year was in the first preseason game when he just threw bomb after bomb. So, you know, for me, if, if I'm holding out any hope that, um, you know, that they're going to entertain me this year, at least offensively, then it's going to be when Allen comes back and you know they just they 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 take the handcuffs off them a little bit because the the season at least you know having a a playoff any hopes of that uh, is essentially over and the kid can just go out there and wing it and let's see what he learns you know by doing that who's he gonna wing it to I don't know but I think Zay Jones is a good place to start I mean when he comes back why would they do anything other than tell him, hey, look, um, this is the one guy very, you know, most likely to be part of your, you know, your weapons next year. Try to gain some chemistry with him. Who the fuck else does having chemistry matter with? I just thought of something as you were making a point here about Zay Jones and Josh Allen and, you know, potential chemistry and whatnot. How many guys on this Buffalo Bills offense do you think will even be back in 2019? I mean, you got Josh Allen. He's a lock. You got Zay Jones. He's a lock. And you got Deion Dawkins. He's a lock. So that's three that I think are a lock. Vlad Dukas, although not very popular, he's a pretty efficient player. He'll be affordable if they bring him back, resign him. He could be four. And I'd say LaShawn McCoy is 50-50. Yeah, I'd say he's 50-50. Great player. He's still under contract next year. But he is going to be, I think, what, 30, 31 years old. And he's got a large cap figure next year. Although the cap really doesn't have much to do anything. The Bills will have all kinds of cap room. So they just want to keep his number. So I think he got three locks, two maybes. At the most, five guys out of 11. Less than half of this Buffalo Bills offense will even be back next year. How many guys do you think are going to be back in 2019? Oh, you're just going to not pay any mind to the captain, Pat DeMarco? No, I'm not going to pay any mind to him. That's Captain, that's Captain Pat DeMarco right there. That's an offensive fucking captain, Pat DeMarco. He plays like four plays a game. He's an offensive captain. Um, Great. Go be a captain in Green Bay or Jacksonville or somewhere else. Well, he's got like two or three more. For some reason or another, I went to spot track last night just to see what, uh, you know, what, what that looked like. Again, probably, you know, it's, it's not uh, – really for some reason or another. The reason was I started to look ahead. Like I said, you know, yesterday killed 2018 sure. for me. Me too. Um, I, I, like, again, that thought just came up. I mean, look, Benjamin might not be here next week, let alone next season. 
I, there's no Clay's gone. It's the end of the road. What a terrible signing that turned out to be. He's done nothing. He's been mediocre at best. And that dude's getting paid almost like he's Travis Kelsey right now. It's just fucking robbery that Doug Whaley gave him the contract that he did. That's uh, not a, uh, just, just, I mean, I know we're just going to gloss past that and it's not a real talking point here, but that was not Doug Whaley. Okay. That was fucking Roman and Rex had, to, well, Roman had to have them. All right. And Rex had to appease Roman and Whaley just, you know, Overdor found a way to make it impossible for Miami to match. All right. I'm just, if we're going to really place blame, all right, on why they're sitting on 50 million in dead cap money, the Rex has as much of that as, as anybody. Okay. I'm just saying fair point. And you're right. But regardless, Clay gone, Benjamin gone, Mills gone, Miller gone, Bodiner, Droy, whoever's at center, they're both a travesty trying to replace Eric Wood. That's gone. More than half this team, more than half this offense, I should say, are going to be gone in 2019. It's only week seven. Week seven, seven games into the season, and we are already talking about who's going to be the Buffalo Bills offense in 2019. Sure, yeah, and it's a big, big... um Mark against the McBean regime, yep. how bare they left the uh, the cupboards on offense, how much they, you know, they misjudged what they had at quarterback and, you know, what they had in, in, in their weapons because the whole thing, everything that could go wrong, everything that people feared when it came to uh, that offense this year has come to fruition. And um, I think these guys got uh, – you know, got a little full of themselves with some some of the good fortune that they had last year. They were confident. Uh, they're spoken highly of, um, not only in Buffalo at, at at one time, but nationally. And they rolled out an offense that, uh, boy, that just backfired like you couldn't imagine. But the reality is everybody but them could imagine. And uh, and now they'll be under they'll be under uh, a great deal of scrutiny to, uh, you know, to rebuild it. And that at least gives you something to look forward to. I mean, as you, you know, it sucks to look forward to an offseason, but it's October not, still. Exactly. It's not like we're not used to it. Exactly. We made the playoffs last year. It's October. We're already talking about next season. I'm really glad that you mentioned Sean McDermott, though, because that's what I wanted to segue into right here. This is the seventh time the guy's coached in 23 games, okay? This is the seventh time that McDermott has lost by at least 20 points. That's less than a year and a half. Seven times they've already lost by at least 20. I know some of it is a lack of talent. Of course it is. But doesn't at least some of that shit flat out have to fall on him and just not having this team ready to play? I mean, to lose seven times by 20 points or more, that's just inexcusable. I don't know if you heard, but in the locker room after the game Sunday, Lorenzo Alexander and uh, who was it? Um, Zay Jones. They both said that they, the Colts did things that they weren't ready for. And Matt Fairborn on the Bills Beat podcast, I, I listened to that Sunday night. He said, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing here, that you know this is an offensive league 
And Sean McDermott wants to drag the league back. Something like him and John Gruden are trying to do. It just doesn't work. The short answer for me, not that I ever give one, is yes, I am starting to become concerned. I'm concerned with the way, you know, he looks at the game and talks about the game. Um, All those things that you mentioned in terms of uh, strategy and offense are of concern to me. The fact that, you know, they've been blown out in, in a third of their games, not a huge concern. I do think that speaks heavily uh, to, to talent, not just a little bit, but a lot. Um, you know, I'll tell you, man, you know, McDermott, we, we talked about McDermott being a rising star. I think we both liked him quite a bit. But if I'm just speaking for myself, I can tell you that I did. Uh, and I he did, built- too. I he built a, a lot of uh, a lot of equity with me from the playoff, not just the playoffs last year, but the competence with which um, I, I felt like he he coached his team. You know, they were they were organized. Um, you know, they were everything that Rex wasn't. Everything that you hated about Rex, you know, you got in in McDermott. And dude, that is just what happens. Uh, with with coaches you know you 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 look at the guy as someone's predecessor who failed you interview a new slate of guys and you want something that contrasts you know what uh with what just didn't work um and that's what always gives the fan base you know hope and i am much more on the side of fan and fan base than i am you know, uh, an hour or whatever a week doing doing a podcast. I am irrational, okay, and I am full of hope when uh, when they you know do something good to sell me on it. And that all happened with McDermott, and I did not see very many scenarios coming into this year where he ended up back at square one with me, where he lost all that uh, you know all that hope equity. I guess I'll call it. But it's happening. It's happening, you know, and uh, I think it's happening with a lot of people. Some people are going too far. Forget that the Bills won't fire him. The fans should not want that. Okay, I'm sorry, but that that, that would be a huge mistake because they're half the way home. Okay, Um, as unpredictable as defenses may be in the future, when you're sitting there with guys like Trey White and Tremaine Edmonds, and you seem to have the, you know, the tackles and Phillips and Latule and you got Murphy and I, I mean, you, the safeties. We're half the way there. OK, bailing out on Sean McDermott and or Bean right now would be a huge mistake. But I need action. All right. No more. No more words. I, I need action. The problem is I'm just I'm, we're going to have to sit there for the next nine weeks and hear nothing but words from them and, you know, from people who analyze them because nothing's going to change in, in the next, you know, two, three months or whatever. It's, it's you know, where Sean McDermott's Bill's coaching career goes from here, you know, is the, the, the next chapter is not starting until February. So, you know, this chapter is almost, it's, it's over as far as I'm concerned, unless – 
like shit just goes crazy and, and you end up with some stuff like happened in Jacksonville yesterday where they had to close the locker room, you know, quickly after opening it because there was a beef and stuff like that. Um, unless he loses it to that extent, you know, there's, there's just this, this chapter is over. The 2018 season is failed. And, um, and, and now the, now the pressure built mounts, uh, you know, the hot seat, it will be there. And, uh, and it's all about 2019. Yeah, I agree. Short of a player revolution, which is not going to happen. There's no way Sean McDermott's getting fired, nor do I think he should get fired. But I will say this. I think that part of the problem is that very bland vanilla coach speak that McDermott has with the media is starting to hurt his perception amongst fans. That, of course, in going out and getting your ass kicked every week when you lose by 20 or more points seven times already in just a year and a half. But anyway, you know, coach speak works when you're winning. When you're a contender last year, he got away with that. Fans embraced that. They were like, well, it's better than Rex Ryan being boastful and then going out and not backing it up. So I do get that. But it's fans just don't like hearing shit like, well, I got to look at the tape or we did some things well. No, you didn't. You just got slapped 37 to 5 by the Indianapolis freaking Colts. You didn't do anything well. Here's the one thing I'll say um, about how he strategizes the game and, you know, seems to be kind of old school. You know, the comparison to Gruden kind of, you know, dragging the this current era of football back a little bit. Right now, okay, he doesn't have any other way to play it. There's just he has no other way to approach uh, a game plan right now. And, and you could argue that that was sort of true last year as well, because he had a quarterback with with tremendous limitations. All right. Let's see what his actions speak um, when this offense gets rolled out next year. You know, I mean, if if they go out and do nothing but build, you know, the uh, the offensive line and add like uh, just, you know, maybe one stud receiver or something like that, you know, then you can kind of add to that narrative of what is this guy doing? Why can't he recognize that, you know, this is an era of, of throwing the football and scoring points, quite frankly. Do you think that this is perhaps the Bills' most pressure-filled offseason that you can remember, given that this was a playoff team? They took a step back, which many will say was kind of by design. They have all the cap room in the world. They've cut a lot of guys, traded a lot of guys, put a lot of dead cap money on the books for 18, so that 19 they could spend it. They're going to have a good draft pick. Anywhere I'd say maybe from 6 to 13. It's going to be somewhere likely in that range. Given all those factors, do you think that, and that they drafted Josh Allen higher than they've ever drafted any quarterback before ever, you think that this might be the most pressure-filled offseason the Bills have ever had? I don't know that I could say that. I'd have to go back and look at what other regimes faced, you know, in terms of expectations, um, you know, during their tenure. But I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, I think this offseason is going to dictate whether or not Bean uh, and or McDermott see a second contract with the uh, with the Pagulas or even see their first, uh, you know, their first contract all the way through. If it's you know, if it happens to be for five years, which it might be, you know, I, I think they could 
you know, not miss on Allen, but I think Allen could end up being just kind of an above average, uh, you know, quarterback in this league. Maybe it may be an Andy Dalton or something like that. And they can still win, you know, if they if they spend this money right, if they spend their assets right, if they, you know, keep this defense together and put a, a really good offense together. I don't think Allen has to be great. I, I, I just I don't feel that a quarterback has to be great. I believe that you're, you know, just your offense can be very good and you can win games, you can win championships with, you know, above average quarterback play. You just you have to have the weapons and and you know the systems around the quarterback for that to fall into place. And that's what will be built this offseason. And that just as much as the Allen pick is probably going to be, you know, what uh, what dictates their future. I do want to talk briefly about the defense. Last week in Houston, they were great. We didn't really spend a lot of time talking about it because there wasn't much to say. They were great. Everyone saw that. This week is the complete opposite. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the defense. They were awful. I will say, though, they had zero sacks, zero picks. Indy went three for four in the red zone. And Jermaine Edmonds and Matt Milano in particular, they just were absolutely awful. At least in the first half, like I said, from what I saw, you're not at all concerned about how the linebackers played. This is just a really bad day at the office, right? We'll see. You know, I mean, I, I expect when we're talking next week, we're, we'll probably be talking about two consecutive bad days at the office. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, Brady's going to shred them. So, it, you know, the, the, the trend is, will likely continue next week. And then we'll uh, then we'll kind of study, you know, even out and, and try to gauge it thereafter. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I have no concern whatsoever you know, these guys were finding gaping holes in the, uh, you know, in the secondary. And a lot of times it was, uh, you know, some misdirection, some uh, some uh, uh, play action that went misdirection, get tra- get Edmonds moving one way and um, just give Luck a, a, a wide open throwing lane the other way. So they did a good job. Indy schemed the shit out of the out of the Bills. They beat the Bills badly. Alexander and Zay Jones said that. Yeah, I mean, they two guys in the locker room said that they that that's quotes that they did things that they weren't prepared for. So yeah, they schemed the shit out of Buffalo. What about your MVP and LVP? We do this every game. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm personally skipping this. As far as I'm concerned, nobody. There's not a player on this team that deserves game MVP, and pretty much everyone deserves LVP. So as far as I'm concerned, just a completely disgraceful game in every way. I'm not giving an MVP to anyone. Do you got anyone that you think deserves it? No, I I, I already told my uh, my terribly flat joke with Lafayette Pitts, uh, you know, racing downfield on a punt return. Do you um, have? It wasn't funny then. It's not funny now. <laughs> um, who who is your LVP if you had to pick one? I don't give. A, I don't that, have that's one. That's what I'm saying. I, no, I'm, either, I'm, no, man. I'm I'm going to tell you, though, because I thought about this a little bit. All right. Sometimes, and this happens to me a lot with uh, with my kids in, in hockey, sometimes I end up on the road, all right, for portions of the Bills game. John Murphy is bad, dude. Okay? I, I mean, every single pass is fired, all right? Anderson, 
you know, look, there was a play yesterday where the line of scrimmage was the 36, okay? Anderson fired the ball to Ivory at the 35. That's a fucking minus one yard pass. I don't care if he threw the ball 100 miles an hour. If I'm sitting there trying to visualize what's happening in a football game and you use fired, all right, for a pass that goes a yard behind the line of scrimmage, boy, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) And it is week after week after week like that. 50% of his past descriptions are fired. It doesn't matter if it's an eight yard in, you know, or, or uh, a 20 yard, you know, out. It's just, he's, he's really, really bad at bringing you, uh, bringing you the action. And, you know, and look, everything's more frustrating when the team is playing like shit. I, I understand that totally. But um, yeah, I, as I was listening to him yesterday, uh, I, I thought about the the LVP, and uh, so that's mine. <laughs> that would have been a good puck drop. Yeah, well, I got us. I got something for that. All right, let's switch gears here. Last Thursday, as the Buffalo Sabers were getting slapped silly in San Jose, you had the following terrible tweet. Terrible tweets. Tell me, I did not. Just see that. You said this Sabres team ain't going to see 500 again this year. These early road trips past couple years send them in the tailspins. Well, my friend, three and two on the Western trip, five and four overall through nine games. In fact, technically, the Sabres would actually be in the playoffs if the season started today. Pucks, yo, have you taken your foot? Out of your mouth yet? Yeah, sure. Here's the thing. All right, with tweeting, saying, or and you know, predicting negative shit when it comes to your favorite sports franchises. All right. Either way, you win. All right. If if it ends up being accurate, well, then you're right, and you look like you know you got it right. Yeah, if it ends up being if it ends up being inaccurate. Well, then they're doing good and you don't care that you were wrong. All right. And and I've, I've rolled that way, dude, for as long as I can remember. I've never bet on the bills. I always bet against the bills because I am willing to lose. I, actually, I don't want to talk real loud here because O'Sherry's homesick today. But I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> look, man, I'm willing to drop like anywhere between 50 to $100 a week for a Bills win. All right. So, you know, when it's meaningful, I won't do it when it's not meaningful. And I won't do it if they're like a huge underdog or something. Like this year, it's not happening because, you know, you could bet against the Bills and, you know, the team doesn't cover and then you're fucking sick because you lost money and the bills lost but i don't mind being wrong when it comes to uh when it comes to predictions uh bad predictions about the the teams that i love so i'm thrilled to have been wrong about the sabers i did kind of believe it at the time i mean they put together uh or, you know two straight stinkers yeah, against vegas vegas and san jose yep. and if you look back at the last couple of years i believe i was accurate to point out 
that a, a couple early road swings um, really put uh, put teams, you know, put them behind the eight ball the past couple of years. And it sure seemed like it was going to happen again. And boy, they turned it around in a big way, you know, in Cali. And, uh, and I would, I, for one was pumped. Like, you know, I, I tweeted last night that they scored a couple straight up, you know, get me off my couch for a fist pump uh, kind of goals. And the Akposo goal did that. Cause it was a beautiful uh, tic-tac-toe passing uh, on the power play. And I love shit like that. And uh, and the Skinner goal did it too, man. I just I loved last night's game. I loved last night's game. Well, I'll say this: in fairness to you, that was a tweet that historically has been correct. The Sabers are notorious for getting off to awful starts, especially these October road trips. They get themselves in such a hole that they spend the rest of the season trying to get out of it, and they never do. At least in recent years, anyway. Now you mentioned Jeff Skinner, dude. That guy is an absolute stud. To Phil Housley's credit, and he's gotten a lot of criticism already because, of course, he has. But he put together that Eichel, Jason Pominville, Skinner line, and that line has been straight fire over these last few games. Yeah, you know, um, he was catching a lot of flack when he put him together. Yeah, he you was, know, me just, included. I hate yeah, him. Yeah, you know, but, um, and look, I just, I don't know the intricacies of, of hockey that well to really know what a... Uh, a, a sound defensive, uh, you know, forward does to complement, you know, two guys who can absolutely fly like Jack and and Skinner. Um, you know, line chemistry is always fun to, um, you know, to think about. I shit, I do it on my on my on my PlayStation on NHL 19 all the time. I can't wait to be done with this because I'm jumping work, right on it. You do. You love working those references into your answers. Every show, you always have a video game reference at some point. I like it. Dude, it, let, let me tell you, bro. I mean, it is it is the prime season for gaming right now. I got <laughs> I own I own NBA, Madden, NHL, baseball, and FIFA. And every one of those sports is like going, you know, full bore right now. It's beautiful. But hey, Housley did a nice job. And I'll tell you something else, too. The another line that I you know, didn't know what the hell if they were offensive, defensive, or how they complement each other. And even in the win in, in in LA, they didn't they didn't look that great. But last night, do you remember the shift that uh Sabaka, Reinhardt, and Sherry had that like spent like a minute in the in the uh yeah, Ducks zone last night? Yeah. I mean, I think they even I think they even pulled off uh, a line change or maybe even uh, maybe a defensive pairing change in the middle of that shift. I mean, that was sweet. And, and you know, Akposo with, uh, with Middlestad and Rodriguez, a super underrated freaking player, Evan Rodriguez. Holy cow. Has he been a find? Yeah, man. He's got a good chemistry going right now. It, it'll change. You know, that's just the, the way it is in, in the NHL, you know, lines change, but um, he found a chemistry to go win two games that he really needed. He comes back here Thursday night against a team that, quite frankly, man, they're better than on paper. Oh, my God. He's kidding me? Don't don't let them get two games above 500 because this fucking town will be on its ear. <laughs> All right? Two games above 500? Oh, man. Michael and Skinner are getting all the headlines. Darlene, too, to an extent, and I can understand all of that. But I'll tell you what, for me, my money, the goaltending's been the difference this year. Carter Hutton and Omar, they have been spectacular in net. 
much, much, much better than last year. And I think that's the biggest difference. There's many differences, but for me, that's the biggest difference why this team is five and four and has a winning record over nine games and hasn't imploded like they have the past few seasons very early on. Sure. You know, Allmark, uh, man, uh, Allmark has, has delivered two huge performances, you know, to start his year. And Hutton stole some early ones, uh, regressed to the mean a little bit with some stinkers. Definitely uh, wants the second goal uh, last night back. But hey, man, that's what teams do is you have a goalie that picked up, you know, the uh, the skaters uh, early in the season and stole them some points. And you had the skaters bail out a goalie last night uh, after he got them into a, you know, a two nothing hole on a second goal that he wanted back. Does that team, you know, is that the kind of thing that uh, this sort of chemistry between a team and their net minder had the last couple of years? I don't think so. What have been your thoughts early on with Rasmus Dahlin? He's only got three points through nine games. I don't think that matters much. What does matter is his progress. We're definitely seeing it. It feels like he's getting a little more comfortable each game. The one thing I will say is that whether it's Jake McCabe or it's been Casey Nelson the last few games, I'm very much anxious and eager to get to see him play with someone who, frankly, is just better. And I think that there's a good chance that that may be a guy who's in Rochester, a guy like Pilot or maybe Gooley. What are your thoughts? Just strictly focusing on Darlene and not his partner, you can see the confidence growing. You can see, you know, the things that he's willing to do or, 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 you know, is able to do almost from game to game, which is really a surprise, man, uh, that, that, that you're seeing it happen so quick from game to game. You, you might see it maybe week to week, month to month, uh, on a, on a kid that, that age at a season that lasts 82 games. But, you know, you could see how they started. He had a very quiet start, you know, not bad, not terrible. All right. But just quiet. He wanted to just kind of play within himself and, you know, just kind of read what he can start to do from a night to night basis. And you've just seen it pick up and pick up and pick up more confidence with the puck, more confidence with the, with the transition passes and stuff like that. And now, you know, you, you see some confidence with him being moved up to the first power play. I mean, it's happening right in front of your eyes at the growth of this kid. And um, it's rare, man. It's rare unless you really, really know hockey. And I don't think either of us do. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But you, you can see it happening with, um, with, with him. And uh, it's, it's sweet. I don't know where the, you know, where his long-term, I, I, I think eventually, man, unless they just, you know, they're, they're, they're a bad mix. Um, he's a lefty. Risto's a righty. Shit, man, it, it might just be time to throw that together and and call it a wrap for like the next 10 years. One more Sabres thing, and I don't want to be negative about the team because, again, they're five and four after nine. Any of us would have taken that. There's a lot more positive than negative. But Sam Reinhart seems to be off to a bit of a slow start yet again. His goal is through nine games. Is that something that concerns you? Or do you think it's more of a product of him moving around and that he'll be fine? Because... He has been a slow starter, and then he comes on scoring in the second half of the season. But again, goal is through nine. I was concerned 
well, let's let's say it this way. I was real concerned through last night, but then last night got me off of it a little bit because I saw some chemistry on the line that he was on with Sabaka and Sherry. And quite frankly, you know, do we win last night's game without that perfect pass to Akposo, you know, to get things started last night? Probably not. Okay. That play was just as important as, as a goal uh, in, in my mind. There are, there are not a lot of people in, in, in this league that can make that sort of pass from, you know, from like the goal line on the left side, you know, to the, to the goal mouth on the right side. I mean, that's, that was, that's elite level stuff right there. And if he can contribute like that, um, you know, Skinner and, and, and Eichel aren't going to do it every night. They need contributions from that second line. And even though he, he may not be the, uh, you know, the centerman on that second line, there is no more talented a player on that line than Reinhardt. And, um, and he's going to have to perform. Now, I will say this, though, all right? I think, I think the futures of Reinhardt and Skinner as the Sabres are very much intertwined. I don't think they pay both. I think Botterill has always seen Reinhardt as a potential trade candidate. It's why he's kept him under team control, his contracts under team control, uh, and, and Skinner's not signed yet. I, I think uh, I think that'll be worth watching. But, you know, for now, we got them both. And, uh, and, and you know, Reinhardt was a big contributor last night. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little less worried than I was. I want to hit on UB. They beat a tough Toledo team on the road Saturday, 31-17. After falling behind 17-7, they sit at 7-1. That's their best record since 1959. They appear to be a lock to play in a bowl game. And they have a good chance to win the MAC. I mean, on Tuesday the 30th, if they play against Miami, it's going to be on ESPN2, a home game. That's going to be huge. Given how shitty the Buffalo Bills are and that that's a completely lost season at this point, does that raise your excitement level with UB a little bit? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I I will look for anything to pull me out of uh, of Buffalo Bills doldrums. So, yeah, I'm I'm pumped for that. God, I wish they would have, you know, beat Army, though. I wish it was an undefeated season right now. I'd love to be that team, you know, that's that's trying to bitch about, you know, getting into the uh uh, the playoff conversation, you know, like UCF uh, was last year or whatever, but whatever it is, what it is, they have the, you know, they have the one blemish, but it's still been a fabulous season. And, uh, and I love the way the Mac grabs, uh, you know, grabs the stage on those, those Tuesday night games. And, you know, we'll have an opportunity not only as a, as a football team, but as a, as a college football community or and fan base they should just be giving away tickets to that freaking game okay that place should be full and you know cost should not be a, a factor in in why it's not you know on on Tuesday night they they need to they need to fill that freaking place i don't like this in fact if we're being honest it kind of makes me sick to my stomach and i'm not sure i'll be able to watch it but i'm sure fox executives are creaming in their pants right now because you got the boston red sox and the L.A. Dodgers ready to score off in the World Series, which begins Tuesday night. Should be a good one. Who you got? 
Oh, I'm going to take the Sox. I just think, uh, you know, they hit the ball better than the Dodgers do. I think they, uh, as, as good as he, he was in the, uh, in the NLCS, I, I, I still think Sale is, is a more dominant pitcher to put out there than, than Kershaw. And I think, I just think, you know, the Red Sox have, have bigger bats, man. So I'll I'll go with the Sox. I think they're they're just a, a more special team than that uh, than that Dodger team is. God, I really hope you're wrong, but I don't think you are, man. I got Boston winning in six and having to hear from idiot Red Sox fans for the next year. Just a thought of that makes me sick. Anyway, let's move on. Your last take of the day, we call it the puck drop. Gonna be hard for you to top that John Murphy take that you had earlier, but that wasn't your puck drop. So what do you got today? Yeah, I started to touch on it a little bit when I got into the Skinner and Reinhardt thing. And actually, I, even before that, when I talked about how the, you know, the forwards kind of uh, bailed out a, a bad goal uh, for Hutton last week. I know it's easy to say this when they've won two straight games and when they're, you know, there's optimism surrounding them. I know it's easy to to do this when you have studs already in place in the in in a guy like Eichel and then winning the lottery with a guy like Darlene. But even aside from those things, holy shit, has Jason Botterill pushed all the right buttons for a franchise in total disarray um, you know, last year and coming out of the Tim Murray era. You know, the locker room was said to be a mess. You know, the the fan base was so down on him, even though we know how how quickly that could change. But, um, you know, the 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 product that he's put out there this year from last year, guys like Skinner, guys like Sherry, um, you know, the 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 addition of Berglund and Sabaka, even though maybe the uh you know, the return on O'Reilly wasn't what people wanted it to be. You know, there's, there, there have been uh, episodes of, you know, beyond blue and gold or, or whatever, and maybe just uh, uh, intermission kind of things where Berglund, Eichel jokingly calls Berglund the godfather because of the way all the Swedes, you know, follow him, follow him around and stuff like that. You know, hopefully the it continues in, in in the standings, but so far the early returns on Botterill assessing what he had here and turning it around uh, in fairly short order again, which is admittedly easier to do with studs already in the room. But Jason Botterill certainly looks like he knows what he's doing as general manager of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, in this early part of uh, of the year, and let's hope so, man, because we need we need something to hang our hats on. And it looks like we may have uh, we may have stumbled into an up and coming stud executive, you know, in J J Bots. So here's hoping. My pet peeve of the week is not having all primetime games flexed by the NFL instead of just Sunday nights on NBC. We just sat through freaking Denver and Arizona last Thursday night. There's so many bad matchups on Thursday nights and also Monday nights on ESPN. And that especially is going to be the case next Monday 
when our hometown team, the Buffalo Bills, are going to get conquered, destroyed, humbled, humiliated, toyed with, you name the verb, it doesn't really matter, by the New England Patriots. I mean, unless you're from Boston or you're just a complete asshole, nobody wants to see that. No one does. People want to see good games, compelling games featuring matchups with two good teams playing against each other in prime time. At least that's what most of the country wants to see anyway. By the way, New England's favored on the road by 13 points. They're going into an AFC rival in primetime on the road, and they're favored by 13. Who are you betting on that? Who you got? I Honestly, I, I heard that it opened at 13, and my first thought was, would it, did fucking Tom Brady die on the flight home from Chicago? <laughs> 13? What, are you kidding me? They're going to win that game by, like, 25. I, 13. If that doesn't go up to you know to seventeen by the time it goes off, I, I would be shocked. I you're you're talking about this this Buffalo Bill team, all right, keeping the New England Patriots within two scores. Fuck out of here with that. I I if I had money, if I haven't if I hadn't thrown it all away on on FanDuel in the past two weeks, um, I'd pound the Patriots, pound them. If my life depended on it, I would not take the Bills plus 20. Seriously. All right, the final shout-out here. It's going out to Mariah Carey. I just found out that she's coming to Buffalo to perform at Shays next March, March 23rd. I may have to fly up to Buffalo from Florida to see that shit, not because I think she's going to be a showstopper, but because there's probably a 50-50 chance that she's going to implode and fuck up and start getting the words wrong right in the middle of her performance. Complete crash and burn. Seriously, probably going to be a disaster. And I'm all about seeing that. You think you'll be working that event? Can you give me tickets? Yeah. No, I, I can't get you tickets. I'll tell you this, though. It's funny. You know, you're fucking excited over Mariah Carey. Meanwhile, I'm excited over her fucking potentially doing something disastrous that's going to end up viral on the Internet. Like forgetting the you know, words to a song and not even carrying it like she did on New Year's Eve that one time. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, that's that that that's true. No, I, I usually I don't uh I don't usually work uh one night engagements at, at Shays, but I will be spending my entire weekend at the arena this coming week for uh uh for Metallica and, and Timberlake. I think about that, dude. All right, think about that on back to back nights. All right, Metallica and JT. I, you in in the history of concerts in this town, I don't think you've ever seen back to backers like that. Saturday night, Sunday night, Metallica, Timberlake. That shit's off the hook. Yeah, that weekend of music's just tight. Got anyone you want to give a shout out to? No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you once again to my man, Tone Pucks. Pat with Pucks, always a good time for me. As I mentioned at the top of this, coming up on Friday's show, I'll have a conversation with Heather Prusak. Heather, of course, works at WGRZ TV, Channel 2 in Buffalo. Excellent sports reporter. I'm going to have a chat with her about her career, about sports media, Buffalo sports teams, all kinds of fun stuff. Looking forward to doing that. If you haven't done so already, Please go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, subscribe to this show. It's absolutely quick. It's easy. It's free. You just go on your app or whatever, find us, hit subscribe. Bam, you don't got to do anything else. 
New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. You can play it and save it. You can play it and delete it. If you have a kind of phone that you don't want to take up a lot of memory, doesn't really matter. And if you don't have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you can also find us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PadMoranTweets. Have yourself a nice, safe rest of the week. I'll talk to you guys again on Friday. Peace out.